Welcome to Flipping the Script, a podcast for women of color by women of color, helping you to not just navigate your way through change, but to embrace it. I am your host, Michelle Words. Judy Dawson Jones is an example that it is never too late to achieve your goals. Judy has been able to advance her career to a level that she never imagined after she moved to Doha, Qatar. Judy encourages us to seek opportunities and position ourselves in places where our knowledge and skills are appreciated and rewarded. Let's get to it. I am not where you want to be, trying to navigate life, but it's hard to see, yeah. I am struggling to make a change. We're coming to me now is the perfect chance. With flipping the scripts, so you'll find your way to help you embrace any trials you face. With flipping the script, conquer every day. We're helping you find your happy place. Judy L. Dawson Jones was born in Cleveland, Ohio, and has always had a passion for service. Judy joined Sidra Medicine in Doha, Qatar in November 2017 as the Executive Director of Pediatric Nursing. She later was assigned as the Acting Chief Nursing Officer and recently was promoted to fill the position permanently as Chief Nursing Officer. Judy has over 30 years of leadership and practice experience in outpatient and inpatient settings at four major U.S. pediatric hospitals. In addition, she also has experience in women's health, pediatric, and adult medical surgery. She has a history of successfully bringing multidisciplinary leadership and managers together to focus on a shared vision of excellence in the delivery of quality patient care based on best practices. As a nursing leader, She understands the importance of engaging staff nurses in evidence-based practices. Judy is committed to providing the best care to every patient who comes to Sidra Medicine. Judy received her BSN from Hampton University in Hampton, Virginia, and her Master's of Public Health from the George Washington University in Washington, D.C., She has served on the board of directors of the American Academy of Ambulatory Care Nursing. Judy is a member of Delta Sigma Theta. Her hobbies are gardening and home design, and she is married to her wonderful husband, Floyd. Welcome to Flipping the Script, Judy. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you. Your bio pretty much tells us about your professional background prior to moving abroad. Were you a surgical nurse? No, I wasn't a surgical nurse. I usually would do general pediatrics. I could work in a surgical area. I also liked adolescent medicine. So I've done a variety of different types of nursing. But I would say that I was probably been in the leadership positions for probably almost 20 years now. Okay. So prior to moving abroad... Then was your career progressing as you had hope? Yes, it did. I think around 1998, I was a staff nurse and I was working on the floors and I was in the adolescent unit, which is my favorite age group. And I remember the head nurse asked me to step up to be a manager. And then I worked in management for a while and 
always wanted to stay in the clinical side, never really wanted to go in leadership. <laughs> I was that sort of rebel type of employee. So anyone that was a leader, had any control over my schedule or any type of authoritarian figure, I did not like. <laughs> so this is an interesting thing. So I always wanted to stay more like a clinical nurse specialist, nurse practitioner, always wanted to be on the clinical side. And she put me in this position and said, oh, Judy, just take it for a little while. I promise you we'll help you be a clinical nurse specialist for a little while. I took the position and then she resigned and promoted me and resigned. So here I was, brand new manager, no experience, no mentors, had this huge unit, had no development, no training, had no idea this is what I was going to do and sort of had to, in the beginning, sort it out for myself. Wow. But along the way, I found mentors and it was interesting. Every time I would try to go into a clinical area, I kept getting put back into a leadership position. And so after a while, I kind of said, I guess this is where I need to work. And I did like leadership in the way of influencing people. I have very good people skills and I like people. I study people. I understand populations. I understand how people work and how to motivate. And so after a while, every way that I would go in my career, I always kept getting placed or promoted or interviewed or recruited for a leadership position. So even in the leadership position, I worked many, many years as second in line. So I would have a director position under a vice president or an executive director position under a chief or an executive and stayed at that second level for a while and actually was pretty comfortable because I felt that I could influence the top and I could still influence people that were actually at the point of service. So I sort of liked that middle range. It was really comfortable. You could move up and down vertically. Mm -hmm. You could move horizontally to get the type of outcomes you wanted. It was until recently that I ended up in the chief nursing officer position that it really hit me um, as people kept telling me, you've been preparing for this position for your whole career, even though this position had never been in my goals, had never been something I aspired to, mm. or nothing that I actually even thought that I would be in in my career of 40 years. So this is how I sort of got into leadership. It's been very interesting. But what it does tell me when I look at my journey is that evidently I'm exactly where I should be. Absolutely. And this is what's meant for me to be. So therefore, it is up to me to perform the highest in terms of this role and to make sure that the legacy I leave is by promoting others and pulling others up, developing and training others. Wow. Yes. And I am a firm believer of we being where we're supposed to be at the time that we arrive <laughs> there, whether we realize it or not. Right, right, right. And apparently people saw the leadership qualities in you far before you did, long before you did in yourself. Yes, yes. Like the the person that promoted you and then left. So she knew that she'd be leaving, I guess, the department in good hands. Yes, but I did. I um, always struggled a little bit with my confidence. And I always felt in the structures in the states that you didn't have everything that it took. You know, it wasn't many of us, you know, I went to Hampton University, which is a historically black school, but when you actually got out into the working force, there was very few black nurses. We sort of seemed to have dispersed. So a lot of times mm -hmm. you would be the only one, it might be one or two. And most of the people, as your career progressed, they got promoted, it didn't look like you. 
So you sort of kind of develop that attitude. You always felt that, well, maybe I don't know enough yet. Maybe I don't have enough school yet. Sometimes people made you feel like you weren't there yet. So I've always had to, while I was moving up, work on my self-esteem because I never really believed that I should be where I was at those particular times. But now I realize that I have earned where I'm at and I've have developed over the years and it's really happened at the right time. Now, I might say that I'm a late bloomer in my career where many people would have taken this type of position 10 years earlier, but I can see that it wasn't just me having the position, it was sort of being prepared mentally. So when I took this position, I could truly feel that I was sitting exactly where I needed to be. Right. So how did your career then in the States lead to you moving abroad? Or how did you make the decision then that you wanted to um, move outside of the United States? Okay. So when I needed to go to a graduate program, I got to the point where I needed to go to upper college. I didn't necessarily want to go into nursing, not because it was not good. It just, I didn't have an interest there. And I was introduced into the um, public health program at GW. At the time I was working at Children's National Medical Center and they had a partnership with the Masters of Public Health program. And it really intrigued me. It was like, oh my goodness, populations. And then they had a track of global health and leadership epidemiology. And it really sparked my interest. And I was determined if I went to my master's program, I wanted to take something I really had a passion for. So I entered GW University on the global health track. And they also took the leadership track. And it was at that time that I really realized I really wanted to work abroad. Now, I really wanted to go more into global health, which would be more of working in the disparate areas and going into places that needed help. But I sort of ended up more now, I guess you would call it international health. So I always had that desire to work. But, you know, due to different situations, I didn't know the pathways of how to get there. So I did try to go through the World Health Organization and some of those venues, but they never seemed to work. So I didn't pursue it for a little while. And then I remember at one of the conferences I attended, I saw this big tent for Sidra at an ambulatory conference. And I kept thinking, wow, that, that sounds really good. But also at the time, I had had to move home to take care of my mom, which was sort of full circle care. Well, someone had given the organization my application, my CV, and they called me and says, oh, we've been holding your CV for a summer, and we're really interested in you pursuing a career with us. But at that time, I had just started taking care of my mom, and I had just moved to Cleveland, and I couldn't really leave at the time. And so I told them no, but I was very, very interested. Then after my mom had passed about seven years later, I was interested and I didn't know what I was going to do next. The only reason I moved back to Cleveland was to take care of my mom and my aunt. And now that I had finished that assignment, I quite didn't know where I wanted to go. And somehow Sidra contacted me again. And I always wanted to work overseas. I always wanted to do something different. And so we sort of took the plunge. I didn't know anyone at the time that worked outside of the country. I didn't really have any references to it, but I knew the work they were asking me to come do, that I could do the work. It was a building assignment, 
a new hospital opening and they needed someone to help build. And I knew that was something that I had a good skill set for, but did take the plunge, sort of came in the dark, actually had never really heard that much about Qatar at the time I took the role. It threw me out of my interview. I kind of felt like I was flying into the abyss. I didn't know where I was flying to. I knew it was in the <laughs> Middle East, but I kind of I kind of told my husband, well, I guess we have a return ticket. We'll get back. Right. But really did come out sort of blindly, and, and I actually took the position, not even knowing that when I accepted the job, what that really meant in terms of moving out of the country. And you said they contacted you seven years later? Yes. Wow. Yes. So you stayed on their mind for seven years <laughs> as their top candidate. Yes, yes, yes. So then how did you find the atmosphere then once you moved to Doha? First of all, the atmosphere, your working atmosphere, did you find it different uh, in the hospital than what you had experienced in the U.S.? And then the atmosphere in general. So the atmosphere in general was really it was different. It was definitely new that it was a foreign country, but it was really interesting for me. I looked forward to every day because it was something new. My husband moved with me and we really liked it right away. We really liked, I liked the idea that when I did go to work, I met people from all over the world and it was just fascinating, fascinating to, to sort of see the diversity. We have over 63 nationalities at our hospital, which is Great. It could be a blessing, but it could also be a challenge because everyone's trying to do things their way and you're trying to figure out what is the organization's way. But I found it to be very intriguing, very interesting, very refreshing in terms of the lifestyle. The lifestyle here was very good. I felt that it was a better work-life balance here. Normally, it took me a while to transition. They could never understand why I wanted to work so late and why I worked so many hours and why did I come in on a Saturday? And I realized quickly that was sort of the U.S. way of working. And that wasn't the way here. People, family was first and people took time off for their family and they took time off for themselves. So that was a slow adjustment for me, but it was a welcome adjustment. Right. For the work environment at the time with the hospital, there were some challenges in terms of the leadership that was there. But I would say mostly it was personality based. Because majority of the people that came to Sidra came there to build the hospital, and they shared in that vision with Her Highness in terms of wanting Sidra to be that beacon of hope, being that key hospital in the Middle East. And that was very refreshing, that people really wanted it to work, and they were very, very committed. But it was different, and we really adjusted quickly. I realized in my working environment, people accepted me for who I was. And all of a sudden, I didn't feel I'm the only one in the room because the room was so diverse. Everybody was the only one in the room. So you just had a different sense of comfortness coming. My husband also said something that was very interesting one day. He said, I've never been anywhere where I'm not being stared at or followed. I'm so comfortable, more so than at home. So that was something that was an interesting transition that we found. uh, And as we went on, sort of realized how much we had been living in a box (laughs) at home. We were very isolated to the world, just living in our own box, moving around. Mm -hmm. The only thing we knew were things that we did our way 
And so I'm really happy that I had an opportunity to break out that box and really come out and see what the world is really like. Actually, that was a question I plan to ask you a little bit later on, is that it's a topic that I haven't discussed with any of my guests before about having a spouse or family move with them and that adjustment. But it sounds like, and I mean, I've witnessed it myself, that you guys, you know, kind of came right in and socially were able to have a nice social circle, meet some really good friends once you arrived. So what has your husband's response been? You've kind of told us this already. That First of all, was it difficult to convince him to move? No, it wasn't difficult to convince him to move. When I started talking about the row, he said he knew innately that I was going to get it. So he had already sort of settled within himself. He wanted something different too. And he's always been adventuresome, probably because of me, but he was always ready to do something different. So I would say though, that him moving with me was very supportive of my role. I'm not quite sure if I would have transitioned as well if he had not been here, because he's really been very supportive of making sure that things are taken care of so that I can focus on my work and myself. Yeah, that's great. Back to your career, I think a little bit as well, is then you have made some tremendous leaps and bounds then since you have been in Qatar. Yes. Do you think that that type of a progression would have occurred had you remained in the United States? No, I don't think so. I think in the United States and what I've experienced is people will recruit you for your ideas and your innovation and your, you know, new lens on situations and they'll be attracted to you for those reasons. But once you get into the system, they work very hard to make you fit into a box. Uh, the one thing about me is that I've never really been a traditional person, so I don't want to mm-hmm. fit into a box. I have a different style. My style might not be as formal or polished. I look professional, but I'm not going to fit into the box. So example would be, I'm not going to be the one that comes in in the two-piece suit and drive the Volvo. Mm-hmm. I may not want a two-piece suit on. I might want to put a dress with lots of color, and I might want to come in my Volkswagen. <laughs> I've always been determined that I have to do things my style and the way that's comfortable for me and the way I can influence people. And my outcomes as a whole have always been good, and every organization I left in very good standing, and people will even talk today of the impact that I had, but it was always the struggle of trying to fit in to this box. And because I didn't fit into the box or look like the box, I don't think so. And I had seen times where others were given the opportunities and they may not had as much knowledge or outcomes as, as you had, but because they look like the box, they were easily promoted. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that people would give you credit for your individuality. And isn't that something though, moving abroad, that you have the freedom to do that? So that's one of the things that I felt that, first of all, you get to better know yourself because you're able to kind of grow more into yourself because you're not in a box, you know, and really be able to reinvent yourself even once you move and be more of the person that you want to be. 
So do you find that you had that kind of freedom once you moved to Qatar? Yes, I did have that freedom when I moved to Qatar that I could be who I was. I could sort of rebrand myself and say, this is how I'm going to be and this is going to be my style. And I stuck with it. Now, I won't say that I did not have some resistance from some people that sort of brought their thoughts and views from where they were from. But I let them have their views. I let them act the way they did, but I always maintained my own self-integrity and poise. And in the end, it worked well. Mm -hmm. But yes, I do believe that I'm more comfortable. I can be who I am. I don't have to fit in the box. And people know I don't fit in the box. And it's okay that I don't fit in the box. But neither does the others that I work with either. So it's sort of some similarity between all of us that sort of stepped out of our own comfort places. Right. I actually think that that's probably the type of person that would more likely want to move abroad or maybe even be more successful or thrive abroad or people that don't fit in boxes. Because you then, I think, are more willing to embrace others that are different because you are too. So, you know, you don't have necessarily all the preconceived notions. Right. Just curious though, Judy, you mentioned some people that still wanted to put you in the box. Were those Americans? I I would think, well, not necessarily, but I'm just curious that if they were maybe American colleagues that you were working with. No, they weren't. Interesting. No, they weren't. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because people bring their own experiences with them. And so I was just curious if that was something that maybe people brought along with them when they moved abroad. But that's good to know. Mm-hmm. Well, not good and, and not good because you don't want anybody to think that you're in a box. But I was just making the assumption, right? right. which I was wrong. <laughs> so more about then your adjustment than abroad. What type of activities and things do you do then in Qatar? Socially? Socially, well, you know, I joined the Brothers and Sisters page for a while there. So we had a lot of activities when when you were here, but I like to go to outdoor activities. So I do like to go outdoors to the parks. I like to stay outside when we can, when it's not too hot. I like to go to the museums. I actually like to go to some of the orchestras play at Katara. I do like to go out to the malls, but more of just walking and seeing, not necessarily always shopping. I do like different activities that different people at work and people that you know will give. But I really do like to do a lot of exploration in terms of parks and being outdoors. And I like being on the water and things of that nature. It seems like to me it's much more healthier here because the weather, when it is good, it's great. And I do like it because it's safe here. So you can be out anytime and you don't really have to worry. And then you've also had a chance to maybe do some travel, some exploration that way. Yes, we've done lots of travel before COVID. We were actually doing pretty good at a good pace, but then COVID hit. And that's something I do miss is the travel, but I'm not quite convinced yet with COVID if I'm ready to go out there and travel. But we really enjoy going to see other places, other parts of the world. It's just been fascinating. So speaking of COVID then, especially with you being in the medical industry, how has it impacted the industry, in your opinion, from what you've seen? What would be different, you think, moving forward? It's been a total disruptor. It's been totally disruptive. Not quite sure it's innovative, but it's been a disruptor. But it has done some innovation in terms of it's changed the way we deliver care. You, You always 
believe that people had to come to you for care, but when COVID hit, they couldn't. So people turned more to virtual platforms, phone platforms. Mm -hmm. I think people became more independent with self-care because it was very interesting when COVID hit, the numbers dropped. We had very little in the ED, very little people in outpatient, and very little missions. But I don't know of any medical events that happened because people didn't come. So I didn't see any negative impact that they didn't come to the ED. So you wonder, well, what was everyone doing? Were they okay? Was everybody well? Or did people just sort of become more independent in their wellness? It also changed the way we looked and the way we deliver care in terms of our messaging. For staff, it's been very stressful for those that have worked in the COVID situations because demand has been Mm -hmm. high and the work has been long. And and it was a lot of unknowns in terms of before the vaccine, will I get COVID? How much am I exposed? So that was a little bit scary for a lot of workers. One thing COVID did here in the international market was it also cut people's pipeline and their travel to go home. And it's really important when you do live internationally, it's great to be here, but it's also good to go home. And usually you'll go home once a year, twice a year, just to keep your foot and keep that sort of umbilical cord to your house to keep you grounded. Well, we had some staff that Mm -hmm. have gone two and a half years that have not gone home. With that being a negative impact because some have lost family members or people that were close and they were unable to go home. But what it did do was build a stronger bond between their co-workers and their and their and their um, um, different people that live with them, other expats. So I hear staff now mm-hmm. talk about the floors being a family and that they have to care for one another. I've seen staff do initiatives where they check in on each other and they'll say, are you okay? It's okay not to be okay. I'm okay. I'm here for you. So they're a little bit more conscious of each other. So that was something out of a negative situation that has been positive. And I do see the relationships a little stronger and people a little bit more um, slow and watching out for each other and not sort of absorbed in their role. But it's really turning the whole healthcare industry upside down. It's also created a massive shortage. As we come out of COVID, a lot of people have retired. A lot of people are moving around. Um, Some of the shortages and some of the workforces are really imminent now, not like it's ever been in my whole career. And we're not quite sure where the replacements are coming from. And we're going to have to look Mm -hmm. at a total different way of delivering health care to make sure that we get to the people who need it. And we're going to have to really make sure that we change our viewpoints on what it means to have access to care. Yes, absolutely. So we've talked a little bit about the downside and, of course, COVID's impacts. But generally, as an expat, then you and I have discussed that one of the downsides is that, you know, you guys have formed a bond in the hospital, but then people are leaving as well. Yes. So... How do you adjust and how do you feel about just how fluid, I guess is the word, that expats are? They kind of come and go. Mm -hmm. So you build these friendships and then people move on. Yes. How do you adjust to that? It's not easy sometimes adjusting because it's a very transient population. But what it does do is you do make friends and you continue those friendships and you make new friends. But it does shift quite often. So you can't get comfortable because as soon as you get comfortable, then the whole population sort of shifts again. Um, and lots of shifting since post-COVID. 
But with that, we developed friends across the world. So we went to see friends in Australia and we would have never, ever met anyone in Australia to go visit if we hadn't done an assignment right. like this. So you just learn to keep ties and keep connected to those who are important to you and you make new ties. You really have to be flexible living in an expat world. If you're not, you cannot be an introvert in this world. You have to have friends. You have to have some community that you're connected with or you'll really be lost. Right. True. And like you said, you know, I don't know, because maybe as expats, we rely on each other so much that friendship bonds really do get strong. And even though people move to the other side of the world, that people really do keep that connection. Yes. You know, and I guess with modern technology, it makes it a lot easier. And, you know, we're probably more so traveling type of people. So it's easy, you know, we're more willing to fly to Australia or South Africa or something to go right. visit a friend. Right. Then. So, Judy, should we look for you being CEO next? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm looking for it now. I'm waiting. Just know. <laughs> that really is not on my bucket list. I really do like where I'm at. And I do think I have an opportunity to give other people an opportunity for them to move and grow in their roles. And this is where I really should be at. I'm not quite sure. <laughs> I want the responsibility. Well, you weren't planning on CNO. So yes. <laughs> I'm still going to look out for that. I will not be surprised. Okay. <laughs> I would be surprised, but that's okay. <laughs> I'm calling it right now. <laughs> so do you have any final advice that you would like to give to the listeners? Yes, I would. If you're thinking about doing something different, come and move. Uh, some people have flourished here uh, where they wouldn't have flourished before. I know as an African-American female, I flourish more here in the seven years, I believe, in terms of gaining knowledge, being very peaceful, being able to work the way I am and be comfortable with it and not really worry about setting in anyone's box or mold more so than I have in my career. And I'm really grateful that I had this opportunity and I want to continue to work in international market. I don't think I'll ever go back. I always will want to work somewhere doing something if it's consulting or helping others um, work in the international market. So if you're ever thinking about it, I think you should step out of your box. You can always go back home. Home will always be there, but these opportunities won't. So if you have the opportunity, I would say take it. If you want the opportunity, I would say pursue it. And there's a whole community out here waiting for you. I wholeheartedly agree. So thank you so much, Judy, for sharing with us some of your wisdom. And I thank wish you. the best for yeah. you in your career. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for listening to this episode of Flipping the Script. If you like what you have heard, please make sure to subscribe to get notified of future episodes. Also, I would appreciate it if you would write a review and share with your friends. And I want to hear from you. Feel free to drop me a line and let me know what you thought about this week's episode or to suggest any future topics that you would like for me to explore. Or you can just stop by and say hello. You can reach me at flippingthescript.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Flipping the Script. Want to continue the discussion? I also have a private group for ladies only on Facebook. I look forward to hearing from you.
Bye for now. With flipping the script so you'll find your way To help you embrace any trials you'll find